welcome to Offwatch, a podcast by the Ocean Race. This week is the turn of Simeon Team Point, skipper in the last edition with Team Axenabel. And as anyone who was following the last edition will remember, Axenabel got off to a shaky start in Alicante. And we spoke about that and what was happening from his point of view as skipper on the team. Also, we discussed his experience with the Volvo 70s and his America's Cup victories. Dutchman Simeon Team Point has achieved a lot in the last decade. Since racing the Finn class to sharpen his skills, it was multi-holes that gave him his first big win, and it doesn't come much bigger than the 2010 America's Cup on board a 34-metre trimaran with Team Oracle USA. And he won again in 2013, just for good measure. He's competed in the ocean race three times, most notably as skipper in the last edition for Team Axenabel, finishing in fourth place and coming away with a new outright 24-hour distance record of 601.8 nautical miles. Uh, Simeon, thank you very much for talking to me today. I I think that's fair that most people will know you from the last edition as skipper from Team Axanabel, but I think it's worth pointing out that in one way or another, you've been involved with the race for almost half your life. It was... 2005 six with Abin Amro two when you first got involved and you were just 23 years of age I wonder if somebody had said to you you know in a couple of editions time you might come back and you'll be a skipper would you have believed them at that age yeah and it, it only realized I only realize now how old I'm getting <laughs> <laughs> No, but yeah, maybe, maybe I'm, you know, yeah, it's funny I, when you put it this way. Um, but I, I think the race itself, the first time I, 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 I got in touch with it was probably at home when my father used to bring me probably in the ra- already the first race in the 80s, somewhere at the end of the 80s to his office and sit behind the fax machine on a Sunday calling in a number and then uh, printing out all these different dotted lines. And then uh, the whole week in class, I could uh, check out which boat was ahead. And probably that was the first time when the race really um, starting to get into my life. And then I think I was eight years old the first time uh, I, uh, or maybe a little bit older, but I uh, I came to Southampton for the start of the Whitbread around the world race when the Volvo 60s uh, appeared uh, for the first time. And uh, my big hero at the time, uh, Dennis Connors, was participating uh, with Winston. So yeah, it's definitely uh, a race that uh, uh, is, a, is a bit of an obsession and I can't let it go from when I was a child till now. Um, but but that, so that first one then, I mean, that first one with Abraham Emery too, I mean, at 23 years of age, that seems quite young, but it was quite a young team, wasn't it? I mean, you guys were all quite kind of... Um, you know, experienced, but, 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 you know, younger in age. Yeah, it was a great opportunity. And I think it was a great, like looking now, it was a great story from, from uh, the, the, the main sponsor, AB and Emro as well. They had a team that, that an international team that needed to win their flagship. And, and of course, as a, as a sponsor, they wanted to see that they're supporting the youth as well. So that whole sort of first time, to search for talent around the world and, and the crew had to be under uh, 30. 
that was a real opportunity for uh, many of us. And I think what they did very well is that also they were able to combine a great skill set of young people. And I think that was also a little bit uh, my luck that uh, not only uh, big Olympic sailors, but also uh, some more experienced match racers and, uh, yeah, and also uh, a few guys with more technical background to keep the whole thing together. Because that was uh, at that stage with those new Volvo 70s, uh, <laughs> a, a really big challenge and how to sail these boats. And I think, yeah, that made a, yeah, a pretty cool team. And, and I think looking back now, Still, I, I'm always getting amazed how young people are getting underestimated. And, and maybe as well, because I notice that everywhere, uh, old people uh, don't want to give their power away at the moment. Look <laughs> at <laughs> the elections in the US. I mean, like generations go on and on and on, and they don't want to let go. And, and, and somehow it underestimates what young people are capable of. And I think uh, even in that race, you couldn't believe the comments of the experienced guys of how dangerous it was going to be. And, uh, and this was completely uh, yeah, foolish. And I think we sailed um, yeah, an unbelievable race and we showed great seamanship in uh, not only in, in, in the Southern Ocean, but also in the, in, difficult, in the moments when it was very difficult when we lost one of our crew members. Something that, as a young team, I think uh, still looking back to it now is very special. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, and obviously Hans Horowitz is the the loss of him is still being felt. Um, the interesting one for me when I was reading up about your backstory was that being such a young team, Hans Horowitz being the oldest. I, 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 correct me if I've got this right, but I think he was the oldest person on board the boat in. 32, I think he was. And of course, the rookie trophy has now been, you know, given his name and all the rest of it. I'm wondering for somebody who knew him, who sailed with him, um, that's, is it nice to see, like you say, that legacy being there to entice the young to come back in? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, I mean, the race, and I think everyone you talk to, like the sailing, the international sailing world is still. Uh, a pretty s small community if you could compare if you compare it to other big sports if it's soccer or rugby or and and i think then even in a niche sport the volvo ocean race is a very nice niche in in ocean racing and um and and, and that gives us some kind of family bond and also the opportunity that uh, yeah people that made uh, made a name in that race or did something special or uh, put themselves forward. And, 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 and I think that's uh, certainly the case with Hans. He was a person that, you know, he, he only joined our team last moment because we needed a little bit of that experience, but he was one of the guys that was really pushing to get to, to for the young and the new generation to do it. And he was still pretty young <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and it's nice that that's still being recognized because, um, of course, uh, yeah, accidents happen everywhere in life and unfortunately in that race as well on our team. But uh, he, ma he made a name for himself of the character he was, of the sailor he was, uh, of, the, of, the, of the prestations he did. And, and, that's, and that's pretty cool uh, still to see that... Uh, 
in in a nice uh, the ocean race family. He's still being remembered, and uh, and 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 everyone who uh, who calls his name always gets a smile on his face, and that's and that's for me very funny because he was a very happy guy. <laughs> and uh, of course, um, a Dutchman as well. Uh, you've done, like I said in the introduction, you've done a lot. I mean, you know, it has been quite an action-packed decade. Um, when you first get on board that boat at 23 and you've got some people to look up to, maybe on your boat, but certainly on other boats as well, how much were you playing the long game? How much were you thinking, this is my first ocean race, I'm going to learn so much because I'm going to come back and I'm going to come back and I'm going to come back? Or was it just a case of, let's just ride this roller coaster one time and we'll enjoy it? Yeah, it's, I mean, for me, personal, I... I, I had a childhood dream from very young that I wanted to race around the world. You know, back in the day it was called the Whitbread and then later on the Volvo Ocean Race. And and uh, I sailed around in my Optimist with uh, the, st- the stickers of, I think, still the 93, <laughs> 94 race, you know. And um, it, it was certainly a dream, but it, it it wasn't in my mind to be a professional sailor or to become that as a job and that sort of happened and and uh, and i had a huge opportunity and of course i sailed a lot of offshore miles and at that stage i was in the right moment at the right place because and also with the right background i did a lot of offshore sailing because i loved that that's where my passion was when i was young but also a little bit of a technical background because of my studies it sort of sort of fitted in very well with the needs of the crew on board. These boats were getting uh, more and more demanding from a crew perspective where you had to deliver more uh, horsepower into it. And that was very good for me with my 100 kg. And (laughs) (laughs) I was uh, back in when I was 20, I was pretty athletic. And uh, (laughs) and, but also uh, of the, the, the wisdom or the feeling that you need to have how to uh, and when to put these horsepowers and what is possible not to break things. And I think that was sort of my breakthrough in the race. And once you sail uh, 50,000 miles around the, the world uh, racing, yeah, if you weren't a good sailor already, you know, uh, you will become one. And uh, But I actually, uh, after, after the 05, 06 race, I had one big frustration, and, and that was that we didn't win, or at least hit the podium. And then I thought, God damn it, I need to do this again. But uh, but I refused uh, a contract in the America's Cup at that time, and I just came back to, to Rotterdam, and I kept studying. And um, because I didn't saw it for myself to <laughs> uh, become a professional sailor uh, till the moment I was really being asked in the Cup in 2007 as an, as an engineer, but also the combination of sailor and engineer. And, and uh, yeah, and that, and that's, actually was a very nice job to have for many years. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that that as a sailor and an engineer because um, the, I've come across this a couple of times. How important is it nowadays with all the technology that's going on, certainly with the America's Cup, but also with the ocean race, not least with the Amoka 60s, how important is it as a sailor to be able to talk that technological conversation and be able to describe what the, you're feeling in a technological way. I imagine that it's becoming quite useful. Yeah, 
I, one thing pops me up of if I if I can still interrupt you. Yeah, one please. thing that you asked me personally of uh, if I would ever become a sailor, and it crosses my mind when I was 22 and walking over the dock at the time in um, in in uh, Vigo. What was very funny, and what was funny coming back now doing the race as a skipper, I remember that I was really looking up against uh, Torben Grill. And, uh, and and also against, of course, guys like Paul Kayart. You know, we were like 21, uh, 22. And I remember, you know, crossing these guys uh, over the dock. And uh, maybe I sailed against them once against the regatta. But, you know, guys like Paul Kayart, they don't see me standing, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and, and <laughs> back then, maybe still, not, I don't know. But he was too busy with his team and with everything. But I remember uh, Torben Grill coming to the dock, uh, crossing the dock first time, and they arrived at Brea Brazil 1, and he stopped. And he said, hey, see me now, I'm Torben. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy knows my name. You know, this is this is pretty incredible, you know. And of course, probably he went through the booklet or he checked out <laughs> the team and um and he knew and he, he sort of knew the faces and the names. But that that for me was uh, a very big welcome into this race and some of the characters that are in that race. And uh, but of course it was also a very uh funny to see that uh, almost uh yeah, 12 years later, I guess, uh, or, or 11 years later, he was there on the dock again, but then as a father <laughs> and telling me, you're going to better take care of my daughter <laughs> and, and you know what you're doing because, you know, and that, and that was for me a moment that I thought that's definitely never crossed my mind when I was 22 and I meet him for the first time in, in Vigo on the dock. And that's actually very funny uh, for, for me, how life can go and how you sort of grow into the sport as well. And and a big honor. Oh, is... Second question, I'm sorry for that. No, 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 no. Second question, yeah, and I, can, I think I can give a short answer to that of how important, yeah, I, I think the, the, the engineering aspect and understanding that, uh, uh, um, the engineering aspect of understanding that how important it is for the as a sailor nowadays there's a lot of young guys and, and girls that are asking me well, how do i get an entry in 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 the professional uh, sailing uh, sport and um, and i and they give up everything you know and i think it's very important i always give them the advice is follow your study whatever you're doing if it's nutrition or if it's engineering or whatever it is because sailing is a very wide uh, sport and you need a lot of different talents to get a team together it's you know the race is just the final exam but to bring all these aspects together you know you need a lot of different talents and as a sailor and as a crew that has to take that final exam you need to have a broad range of understanding of those talents but also to give an input and I think that was always what I found very fun and from an engineering point of view. And you can see that very clearly as well, I think, in in, uh, in uh, car racing, in the Formula One. As a driver or as a sailing crew, if you can sort of translate your intuition and feeling 
into the language of the engineers, you're not innovating because these guys can only do that much behind the computer or from their desk, but they don't have that feel. They don't have that intuition. They don't, they haven't sailed hundreds, thousands and thousands of miles, but still you want them to make a better and faster and stronger and more reliable vessel. And that's, I think, uh, uh, the very cool thing or what I found so addicting in this sport is that the technical aspect of it uh, is very important in your end result. And, and as a crew, if you can have the talent to sort of continuously translate your intuition into, an, in, in, into the language of the engineer, uh, you're making big steps. Let's talk about the last uh, edition then. Let's talk about some of the big steps that you made. So let, let, let's start at the beginning. Um, you were one of the first teams to announce, uh, and then you made the decision to um, take some of that time that you had and build a new boat, get a fresh VO65, never been sailed before. And that was, you know, you had some people saying, well, this is brilliant. You're going to have a brand new boat. It doesn't have any of the stresses and strains of going around the world. And other people saying, well, just take one of the old ones and recondition it. I know that you did the addition before with um, Team Vestas Wind. You did it with them and I think you joined them in Lisbon. I'm wondering whether seeing the boat sort of rebuilt from what it what it took, I mean, do you look at that decision now and do you think that was the right thing? We had a boat that was fast or do you think actually yeah, the 65s, they, they would have been okay. What, what do you, what do you look back and think? I, I, to be really honest, you know, I think uh, from the outside world, it was always being put like, I oh, wants a new boat and a new boat <laughs> is better to win. And uh, maybe he likes building boats. <laughs> but, <laughs> But to be really honest, that, that decision was more driven by uh, the logistics, time, and availability, and also price. I mean, at that stage, I think, you know, of course, there were already teams that didn't announce themselves, but they uh, claimed the boat, and they knew that they were going to do it, you know, uh, and, and but they just didn't announce themselves yet. And um, so, yeah, at the time, I think it was in uh, the sort of, uh, autumn 2016, I guess. Uh, I had uh, the ch- I, yeah. I think Paul Vosheres at the time really wanted to have eight boats being built, and that was for me very attractive from a, a price uh, <laughs> uh, uh, view as well. Because at the end of the day, it wasn't sort of that much more investment to get a new boat going than to buy an old one mm-hmm. and then do the whole refit and become into a schedule of refits where you have a lot of downtime where you can't sell. So, um, so if you have the opportunity as a new team to go for a new boat that is also going to be on the water in the beginning of May, or you're going to have a second-hand boat that you sort of, well, can train with through the autumn and winter, but then you lose it as well, and, 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 and sort of in the investment, it doesn't matter, yeah, for us, the best uh, uh, choice was is to take the old Vestas boat 
use that as a training platform and then let the new boat being built. Don't worry about refits or about uh, guys that have pushed that boat 50,000 miles uh, before around the planet and I wasn't there. So there are no hidden surprises, you know, so it basically didn't really matter that much in the end. But as a new team for us, we had a great opportunity and great run that we could sail with that Vestas boat. And I think now looking back, after in the race for sure that also the new boat had some of uh yeah had some advantages we were still the lightest boat you know we had the most corrector weights in the boat uh of course they were all being the same but you know the end result it was very nice i think persico built the boat made a very nice job uh, the finish was just great which gave us not a lot of yeah saved a lot of maintenance energy which was good and all the systems were new and you know so it was in the end you you sort of hoping to save that time uh, on the shore during the race and uh, but also uh, yeah i think our boat was very stiff and um, uh, yeah reliable and uh, but of course i mean at this stage it doesn't really matter. They all been uh, pushed hard and put away wet. So uh, it's it's yeah. It, it wasn't enough advantage, let's say, to you know to become the winner or not. It it all ended up still how you sailed it and and uh, and 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 how could uh, yeah how could you could trim and how fast you were pushing it. Sure. I mean, we'll come to it in a minute, but you guys did push pretty hard. I mean, like I said in the beginning, you've got the 24-hour record, but also um, six podiums, I think, you guys finished up with, which I think Dongfeng Race Team also got six, you know, walking away with the trophy. They got six as well. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, I think uh, we got sort of, if you look at the podium results, I think we had the same as Dong. Thing and yeah, I think so. Sort of the same amount of first place, the second and third, and um, but yeah, what I mean, it's a that's where the frustration is and painful, and for sure it hits me once a week when I'm letting out the dog and <laughs> uh, doing my dog walk in the night. But it's like, yeah, what if you know I would have be more conservative in that Southern Ocean from Cape Town to Melbourne because that's where we sort of lost it, you know, with that whole mass breakage. That sort of happened to Dongfeng as well uh, in that race before, in the 14-15 race, when they broke their mast in the Southern Ocean, you know, and they um, uh, and, and they ended up fourth as well, you know, while they had, like, sort of the best standings on paper in podium positions. So, yeah, it's also a tough one, but, you know, that's how the race is. <laughs> and yeah. it was very fierce racing between some really, really good competitors. And I think, you know, even for me, yeah, for sure, Dongfeng and, 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 and uh, Mafra were the two dominant players during that race. And, uh, and, and yeah, one of them was going to take it and Dongfeng did it, you know. And, and I think for us, yeah, of course, we had our times that we were dominant and we had the potential. But, um, yeah, we, the, 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 yeah, we sometimes one mistake can, can, can hurt you big time for the rest of the race. <laughs> well, I, 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 I want to ask you about that Southern Ocean um, jibe. But before I do that, we also need to go back to Alicante 
and we need to go back to the start because you talk about some things that happened that you kind of go, ah, this is not what we wanted. And now the sort of momentum has maybe been sort of damaged a little bit. Um, I think for a lot of people who follow the race, they look at the skipper and they think that's the head of the team. They're the person with all the control. They're the person who are, who says jump and everybody jumps. Now, with Team Max and Abel, obviously there was right at the zero hour, this disagreement with yourself and with the management company. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of things there that's not fun to remember and talk about, but just to sort of help everybody understand why these things can happen. Just if you can explain to me as skipper, what were you in control of? And then what was everybody else in control of? And where did the, where did the friction come from? I, I think what's interesting, you know, what I always keep telling to everyone as well, in these big campaigns, of course, you have control to a certain point of what happens, the team, the people you take on, uh, how, you, how you're running it. But there's always a huge factor that you can't control when you start these teams. And that is sort of still the, the main stakeholder you're going to do this adventure with. And, and I... And, and I find that always very intriguing because in, my, in the American campaigns I did, in the ABN Emro, in the Dutch campaign, sort of the main sponsor, the main stakeholder, if you want it or not, you're becoming part of their culture. You're becoming part of their corporate a lot of times because they're corporate sponsors. You need to breathe their identity. And that campaign, even that you can be all sailors from different nationalities, you're going to breathe their <laughs> identity. And I think what, looking back, you know, what was very difficult in that campaign, that there was a very strong decision from the board in 2016 to use the Ocean, the Volvo Ocean Race campaign for, uh, with Team Action Nobel for a certain yeah, management exercise, but also to show the outside world of who they were, product placement, uh, B2B, uh, and, and, and that was uh, something that came from the top, and, and you are in some ways a strategic tool with that, which is a dream scenario, because in that sense, you know, everything is focused as well on performance, and these guys, they know performance. And uh, so I think we started off really uh, well, and I think we got a lot of things very well organized. Where it became a little bit different is when within the corporate world, things change around, you know, and, and, and there's a different focus. And not because they want that themselves, but when a company gets influenced by takeovers or different management, other things become more important than maybe uh, this sort of uh, strategic tool. And I think that's sort of what happened with us a little bit in the spring of 2017. And um, yeah, which we ended up as a campaign a little bit in the vacuum. Um, where do we belong, you know, within the main sponsor? What do I want to do with us? How is this going to end up? Uh, and and that resulted maybe as well a little bit as a top sport team where you really want to drive for victory and everything is focused on performance uh, till maybe sometime where they say, well, maybe, you know, we can go around the world as well and we can still make a nice campaign with some less uh, effort and investment. But in the end, yeah, uh, like, like 
any sometimes disagreement that you have, you know, uh, on the workplace or with other stakeholders, you need to come to a solution. <laughs> and uh, but of course, it wasn't really in my planning or even as a sporter that yeah, two weeks before the race, you sort of need to fight for this and 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 protect the team of our dreams and ambitions and what we have worked for. But I did, and 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 you know, uh, I was very lucky that a very good team around me, uh, not only on the, on the water but also on the shore, that always did the things in the right order, and 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 always uh, had everything perfectly uh, organized. So yeah, that was a strange two weeks before the start, but also sort of a big boost when you do have your stuff together you can really uh, bite back as well but you feel a little bit in those moments like uh, David and Goliath and and as a team we were in the in the, in the David sorry David and, and Goliath <laughs> and, 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 and as a team you are in that moment David and 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 yes you get everything straightened out unfortunately through courts but then you're back in Alicante and you have two or three days uh, to start a race and I think what was for me a big boost at that moment is that I had built a team or the majority of the team that was still standing behind me and that really wanted to do this uh, together because if that wasn't there then as a skipper or as a leader you're nowhere and that was made me really motivated to to push push for it and 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 but I knew the race was changed as well. I couldn't focus anymore hundred percent on the race, but there was also a relationship to be repaired. And that's also the role uh, what I learned as a skipper at that moment is that at the end of the day we did it together and you straightened things out. but you know the goal was as well that when you arrive in the Hague over the finish line, uh, everyone needs to put that race in their price cabinet not only the sailors but also the sponsors the stakeholders the supporters the, and i think that is probably the biggest achievement as a team and team Max nobel that we have made that everyone and for me as well i'm looking back from a business perspective we it was a really big challenge and a really big success for me as a sporter I would have spent way more time on the boat and as a sailor and be a little bit less worried about what was happening on shore and, and trying to yeah, fix the relationships. And uh, But it is how it is. And, and I think from I learned a great deal of it. And, uh, and that's what I told you before. Sometimes it's frustrating because you re really want to do it all and you wanted to win that race. And we had these podium positions and we were the fastest boat 24 hours. And we knew how to push. And I had unbelievable sailing crew on board. And we had a great team that was really going for each other day and night. And uh, yeah, you know, try it another time. <laughs> well, you, 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 I mean, you're absolutely right though about the the boat getting its speed back and the and the team finding your groove again. Um, it, it it did happen. I mean, it was the morning of the start in Alicante that you were having to 
pull-in replacement crew from Sunhunkai Scallywag at the last minute to make sure you had the, the required amount of people. And I'm sure on that first leg, there were some emails that you must have been sending off from the boat going, right, I need to, I need to fill in some places here. When did you feel like we're back? I've got the team again. I've got the, we've got a good group of people again. The, we've got that feeling back. When did you relax? Like, yeah, of course, you know, it was a rush start. Nothing that you ever can dream of or think of. I think what was for me very good feeling is that we sailed with seven guys to to uh, Lisbon and we did unbelievable well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and um, yeah, the, the, the older generation, uh, they, they didn't support it. They, you know, we... So, so at that time, Joga and, and, and Brad, you know, we didn't come to an agreement. And that was on one end, you think, wow, you know, guys with so much experience, they've seen it all, but this is not going to go well. The team was not standing behind it to race with these guys. Um, so the core group of young people was there. And, and, and it was a huge boost that when you sail so well, that you know we all looked at each other at some point i i think the, the day after we came out of gibraltar and we were in the second place they're like we know how to sail you know? <laughs> we still have a lot to learn but we know how to sail we can do this you know we're only seven guys and nobody had slept you know because you have you have to work hard with 10 people crew imagine with seven it was uh, phys physically it was <laughs> maybe even the, the hardest leg and I couldn't sleep the first 46 hours as well of everything that happened uh, the, those two weeks before that will still go at that moment you're at sea and that was all going sort of through your mind and you need to process it at, uh, but so we still a very good leg and then it was a very rush uh, stopover in Lisbon to get basically back to a top level team and really get our stuff together and everything was there but still you know you're scrambling apart and then um, I think uh, uh, finishing in Cape Town I was actually you know uh, uh, reading uh, some newspaper uh, that my grandmother uh, she, she saves all the articles and I saw one of the articles that it said something like uh, for Team uh, Action Nobel, it felt like a podium place to become, I think, fifth in in in, uh, in Cape Town. And of course, the that we, we, we didn't end up on the podium. But I think as a team, we sort of thought, you know, now we are sort of gelling in. We had very good moments in this leg. We had some bad decision making as a group where there was miscommunication. But I really felt like I can solve this you know, uh, building on the team again with the right people and uh, next leg, the hammer goes down. But then when you are asking me what was really the feeling that you could sort of win this race, eh, even from the worst perspective ever, it was probably in the leg of Cape Town, Melbourne. Because mm -hmm. after we made this sort of fatal mistake eh, of uh, where the mass track broke, that was never allowed to break. I mean, but it, but it did. At that moment, you know, you're thrown back as a team uh, to the ground again. And then at that moment, how you pick up the pieces with each other. And also for me, how I sort of, how the team stayed together, 
how you sort of focused at that moment, like, well, let's use our time the best going into Melbourne because this leg is gone. Let's prepare ourselves that we only need to win from now on. It's, it's funny enough, when we arrived in Melbourne, I think we felt uh, very, very strong. And that sort of, from that moment on, we, yeah, we start sailing podium positions. And, but also in the fact that we started to understand the boat, we started to understand the strength and limitations of us as a crew again, of uh, who, who is, uh, what was the strength of who, and, and in what moment, uh, if it's tactical, but also sometimes for, like say, boat handling, uh, steering, uh, when certain conditions. And uh, so, yeah, I think from that moment, we, we really showed great progress. And, 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 and Hong Kong was the first stopover where I relaxed. where i really slept a lot (laughs) because melbourne was for us also i think uh, a little bit more than 24 hours but we had to restart in 48 hours yeah and but but i think we talk a lot about the the performance of a team as in oh they finished third or they finished second or they were fast but like you say actually the fact that you were able to get your mast track back on the boat bonding it back on in freezing cold conditions. I mean, the, the videos of, I, I can't, I, I mean, I, I can't remember who it was that was up the mast, but a poor crew member up the mast hanging on for grim death as the boat's breaking around. It was incredible effort to do that. And then, and then we get onto this sort of performance streak where, where you guys are really sort of, like you say, performing well. It's interesting to hear you say, you felt the team kind of coming together at that point. As a skipper, are there any, do you ever find a moment in the race when things are going well that you get to say, I'm really glad I chose that person? Did you get a chance to go, oh, you know, that one, that one, you know, to see those individual moments where they shine? Yeah, I think I had that with all of them through the whole nine months and maybe multiple times, you know, and, uh, but 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 what for me was it was very cool as well is that when we started in 2016 uh, and we announced and we started to start sailing with that uh, with the Vestas boat is that uh, we were building up also the at that moment the possibilities that we had but we we're building up the team from the bottom up and normally and what I want to mean with that is that normally you sort of uh, when you start a team, you pick the, as a skipper, you pick your, uh, let's say, I wouldn't say second rank, but let's say the, the guys you really trust uh, that have the experience, the veterans, and then and then you're going to look at talent and that's, you know, and you make a strategy uh, based on experience, on what's going to happen. And we did it the other way around because uh, we didn't have the financial possibilities to uh, immediately uh, bring in uh, the hot shots. And, uh, but we, we just needed to start sailing for the sponsor, for the boat, for, you know, to get going as a completely new team because all the other teams that were going to participate did that race before. You know, except for for uh, Scallywag, I guess, and um, and and, uh, and and turn it tight. But uh, so we just got got going, and and I think the the first guys I started with was of course 
the, yeah, Luke, which I know uh, from uh, Luke Malloy from ABN Emro times. And um, I asked Nikolai uh, Shestad and, uh, and uh, Brad Ferrand. And, uh, and Brad came from through Nikolai. And Nikolai, I sailed with him. Um, uh, he goes past little legs on fast as wind. Mm. And that was actually a very fun way to start. And uh, because we went, we just went for it and we sort of started to organize the team from our view, which was uh, maybe a little bit uh, yeah, different than when you do it with uh, 20 years of experience. And, uh, and that core always stayed together. And I think uh, still now when, uh, when you look back at the race, when we finished, yeah, there's always a special bond between that, you know, uh, you were there from the first moment, these guys were there from the first moment and, uh, and we made it uh, to, to the end. And, uh, but then nevertheless, you know, even when, when Chris came, uh, Chris Nicholson in, in uh, Portugal, I mean, all these guys pay, uh, had a crucial part later on w- within the team of how we sailed the boat, how we learned with each other of, uh, we got organized, etc. The guys on the shore team, of course, the same. The guys I worked with for a long time, even from the Cups. Uh, Rice Ruthenberg and and um, and Andy Walker. I mean, uh, yeah, there. It's it, that that's something that's great about this race is you, you're taking on such an adventure and and uh, such a challenge and uh, to do that with guys from the very start and to sing this through for three years or two and a half years and to end up uh, happy with each other as well. Uh, that's something that marks you and forms you and also the relationships. And that's pretty cool. You said at the beginning when I um, was talking about how young you were on board ABN Amro 2, you said you didn't realize how old you become, but you're not that old. I mean, you're, you're not 40, what are you, 38? You know, I'm older than you. Um, and you've got an awful lot still to go. I mean, I know that you have been trying to get some momentum for a Dutch America's Cup campaign. And I'm sure that while you know, maybe not successful for for the coming America's Cup, you know, some momentum sort of moving maybe for the future. Um, at the moment, what do you take with you from the last edition of the Ocean Race? What do you take with you? What do you say with with pride? Everything that you've already mentioned about the team gelling together, but finishing so strongly in the Hague, second place, you know, the record, what do you say? You know, this, this I, I remember that and it makes me smile. I, the, I mean, the, the biggest thing is that we ended up again as a team mm-hmm. you know and nobody would have given me a dime in <laughs> <Ali> Kanta, <laughs> to, to, to hey where they would have thought let's see if this guy can get it all together and uh, but we ended up as a team in the egg and that was um, and that was I think for, for everyone for everyone involved you know and that was a very uh, is, a, is a very big achievement and uh, of the team you know, but and I was very lucky enough to, as a skipper, and, and to lead that, and and that's what I probably look back at at the last race. Uh, that is very fulfilling, and um, and yeah, and it's, you know, I always have to laugh about Luke Malloy because if you look at really into the sport sort of uh, <laughs> effort you had, he always says, you know, 
everyone forgot who won the race, but everyone always remembers the fastest. Yeah. <laughs> and that's sort of the slogan that we thought uh, that was very uh, good, good to hear for ourselves in 2005, 2006 race as well, when we crushed uh, the 24 hour record at the time on the Volvo 70. And now we did that again through the, on the Atlantic. So that's sort of, uh, yeah, that was a very cool and special moment as well, especially when you do it with big numbers, you know, and, and not like uh, with half a mile. But yeah. That was, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. If that, if I, I can absolutely understand that in two, three editions time, if, if nobody's broken that record, we'll still be talking about Simeon team points, team action about, is anybody going to break it? So that, yeah, that has the potential to last for quite a while. Um, Simeon, thank you very much for um, talking me through not only the last edition as well, but what kind of made you fall in love with all of this. And uh, you're not that old, 38. No, I'm absolutely... no, I don't feel old. Eh? That's <laughs> <laughs> if you're old, then I'm old. Um, uh, but we will like see I'm you. Yeah. Yeah. We will see you. Go on, sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm still doing the same stupid stuff uh, <laughs> when we were 22 years old, so not, not much has changed. <laughs> oh, well, Simeon, thank you very much for talking us through everything. And uh, it's fascinating to hear what motivates you. And I'm sure we're going to see you again in the race in the not too distant future. Yeah, thank you very much. Good luck. <laughs>